Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. Hi, welcome to the show today. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever considered writing a book? I think there's a book in all of us. Something needs to be birthed in all of us. And many people through the years have said to me, gosh, how do you write a book? Well, I know the questions are all the same, like, well, what if I'm not a good writer? I, I, I write, but am I really a great writer? But I've got a story to tell. Or you're a leader, and you've got so many experiences that you know would help other people as they're emerging leaders maybe navigate the road of journeying leadership a little bit more smoothly. So how do you go about doing that? Or maybe, like me, it was a time of real discouragement at the beginning of my career when I just wondered what, what I was going to do and how I was going to do it. And out of the blue, divine inspiration, as I would say and so would my guest, mm. a woman said to me, hey, Valerie, you've got a lot of things to, to tell people. Why don't you write a book? And I remember so clearly saying, write a book? How do you do that? And yet, here we are, David, writers and authors, and on the show together. Welcome, David Cottrell. Thank you very much, Valerie. Can you believe it? Here we are. <laughs> Here we are. Listen, I want you all to know that um, I asked David, let me tell you a little bit about David, first of all. What a man. Uh, David Cottrell is the CEO and president of Cornerstone Leadership, which is one of the most successful publishing houses in the world. And David flew in last night to be on the show and talk about his newest book, Grace Upon Grace. And I want to hold it up and show you all of the tabs. <laughs> <laughs> That's that good. I have marked. This book, David, um, I, I was impressed as I am in all of your, how many now? Books Over 30, yeah. 30 books. I can't even imagine. <laughs> That's called a gift. You have a gift of writing. I mean, I don't have a gift. I just persevere. <laughs> but anyway, uh, what I appreciated about this book was the format of it because in every chapter, at the end of the chapter, you give us what I call on every show, what's your teachable point of view? What are your leadership lessons? And so I love the fact that you said up front, you can read this book, and if you're having trouble with um, getting a fresh start, you can just turn to that chapter. Or if mm -hmm. you want something on grace for today, you can turn to that chapter. And then at the back of every chapter, you give the application. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that that was important to you because oh, yeah. that was an add-on at the end. Really? Yeah, the book was really written for my family. Um, hmm. My 65th birthday was last year. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Young. And I wanted to provide them a piece of my legacy, yeah. to have them uh, to have something that's permanent. And so I wrote that book. It took me about a year to write the book. Mm. And um, as I wrote it, it was written for my family, and then I started allowing other people to look at it and to give me their input on it and see what they thought about it. And 
more than one person said, look, you know, this should be broadened out for more than just your family. Mm. And so that's where those applications came from. And as you said in the introduction, everybody's got a story. And everybody can write that story about what they've, what they've done in their life, and it's all important. This happens to be my story. Uh, and through that story, we go through 14 different graces from the grace of my heritage uh, of being brought up by some wonderful parents all the way to the grace of today. Mm. And in between are all the things that have happened to me, and you know most of them, Valerie, and you know I've had my, I've had my peaks, I've had my valleys, and I've had everything in between. But everybody else has had a story similar to this and so i'm with you i think everybody should write their story Mm -hmm. and allow others to learn from them and help them become the person they want to be you know thank you for that the person they want to be so early on you said in the book that you were so clear on your purpose I was so clear when I started this show what my purpose is, which is inspiring mm-hmm. emerging leaders to be authentic brands and to never waver on their values mm-hmm. and live life accordingly. And so you said in the book you were clear early on about your purpose. So what is it, and, and how did you get such clarity so early? Yeah, I was clear early on, but it, my purpose has defined itself and changed along the way. Uh, my values haven't changed. Okay. I mean, there are certain things that are non-negotiable, regardless if I'm a manager for a uh, Fortune 500 company or I'm an entrepreneur. Those values do not change. Um, so my purpose, though, did change. Uh, at the beginning, my purpose was to be the very best sales rep that I could because that was my, uh, my whole focus at the time. And then I became a parent. So my focus sort of changed to be sure. the best salesperson and the best parent. Uh, our husband really first and then the parent and then it sort of evolves to the next level that you get to but one thing that I knew all along is that I wanted to be in the inspiration type business I wanted to help people become better at what they were trying to do mm-hmm. and so it was always part of my agenda to learn as much as I could I took in everything that I could take in uh, I read more than most people I attended more classes than most people. I paid more attention, I think, than most people. And all of that contributed to, you know, what I ultimately became. My ultimate purpose was in creating the business and creating the brand that I sort of have Mm -hmm. um, that inspires people and mentors people so that they can become better. And, and yes, I have seen you live that. Um, I have to tell the audience that my last two books were published by uh, this man's company and so I've during that time I've watched you live it and you've been an authority too, David on leadership for many years before Mm -hmm. you ever launched this business you were an executive at Xerox and at FedEx and and some of those stories are in the book that's a large part of my life it's it's the base of my life really Mm -hmm. is uh, I was very fortunate Valerie in that Uh, Right out of college, I started to work for Xerox, which at that time had the best training of any company in America, Xerox and IBM. IBM turned me down. Uh, Xerox took me, so that's how I got there. That's an interesting point. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I I got over that pretty quick. Uh, But I learned as much as I could while I was in this company that was in the learning mode anyway. And I was with them for 10 years. I was sales rep, sales manager, sales planning manager. And then 
Um, I moved over to Federal Express, which was the name at the time. Currently, it's FedEx. And at FedEx, I came in to start up a, a new division in a group that started up a new division. And so I was able to bring a lot of my talents over there, but it was also to expand them quite a bit. So I did that. So I, literally, I worked for two Malcolm Baldrige Award-winning companies. Not many people Simple. have done that. Mm -hmm. And then I took that experience, and uh, I went to a company here in Dallas that was in the cheerleading business, that is in the cheerleading business. They had gone through Chapter 11, and so it was my job to stabilize that. I did that for three years, and then I began my own personal development and, and management development company after that. So with all that experience in leadership, what comes to mind as someone who inspired you as a leader through the years? Well, it's pretty interesting in that I think for anybody to be successful, anybody uh -huh. in any field, you have to have mentors along the way. Uh, you're not going to figure it out yourself. Uh, when you make mistakes, you need somebody to help you get out of the hole that you're in. Mm -hmm. um, and I had numerous mentors, people that were great people who shared their uh, knowledge and information and and experience with me. Uh, one of my most significant mentors I had lunch with yesterday. Oh, really? Uh, mm -hmm. It was his 81st birthday, and he's a buddy of mine I hadn't seen in probably 15 years uh, at least. Um, but his name was Tony Van Rokel. And Tony uh, promoted me into my first leadership position back in 1978 uh, with Xerox. And so I was the youngest manager for Xerox at that time, at least I think I was in the whole company at that time. At 25 years old, I had 50-plus-year-old people working with me. So I learned a lot mm. in there. He was my mentor, and he helped me, you know, um, not make as many mistakes as I would have made. And then beyond that, I've had mentors at different levels, too. Um, I had a guy here in Dallas. Uh, his name was Fred Smith, who's not the Fred Smith of FedEx, <laughs> but different guy. He was an author. Uh, and when I was going through my – when I was starting my business, um, you know, at Cornerstone, and I was struggling a lot, I went to him, and he helped me through that period of time. So you have different people with different experiences that can help you at different times, but they sort of had to be asked as well. So, you know, that's one of the lessons that I that I try to pass on to everybody is, you know, don't try to, you know, uh, overcome the struggle by yourself. Mm -hmm. There are other people that want to help and can help, but it sort of have to be asked to help. And that's what Fred Smith did for me. I'm glad you brought up you have to be asked mm -hmm. because when I started business, I didn't ask. Mm -hmm. I've always had a hard time asking. I think we all do because we're proud. And is it pride or is it? Uh, it's fear as well. A you know, bit like, oh, there, there's a lot of different emotions that could contribute to that. But um, I mean, not many people like to talk about the struggle. Mm -hmm. They want to talk about the success. And what a lot of people don't understand is before you get to the success, you've got to go through the struggle. <laughs> you sure do. And uh, <laughs> you got to help you help, have someone help you through those. So how do you ask for our listeners and if I were to go back in time, what would have been the appropriate way to ask someone to mentor you? Yeah. Well, you know, I've, I've been studying mentorship for a long time, and I consider myself to be one. You are. Uh, right. For several people. And um, one thing that's evident is that your friends, your good friends, don't make good mentors. 
Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. They don't okay. make good mentors at all because number one, they don't want to hurt your feelings. That's number true. one, they don't. Uh, number two, they don't want to tell you something that might not even be right. And most of the time, they're not qualified to be a great mentor. Mm. Now, they might be a, a mentor in some kind of personal thing that you have going on. That's and that's okay. But I'm talking about in long term career decisions Uh, they probably don't have the experience and they don't have the knowledge and they don't want to hurt your feelings so they're not you're not going to get great information from them Mm -hmm. so you have to go to somebody that has that Mm -hmm. so who has that knowledge who has that experience and who has that desire to help you and to do that you've you've sort of got to put your search out uh, to understand you know where your net's going to be cast for that type of person and then once you find them, like the Fred Smith in, in my case, once you find them, they're more than willing to be involved with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you've sort of got to make that step forward, and you've got to identify who that is. Now, if you ask who, how I got Fred Smith on my team, Zig Ziglar. Hmm. He was Zig Ziglar's um, mentor. And he's the one that told me, you ought to go talk to this guy. And that's where it can You know, you keep asking people uh, of different areas and different stages you know what I need to be doing and they will lead you where uh, where you need to go but you got to ask I think that's one of the biggest um, for today teachable points of view is this whole thing about mentorship mm-hmm. and that both the mentor and the mentee have a responsibility that's right I also now because I didn't ask and didn't have very many mentors I am one and I learn a lot from my mentees. Mm -hmm. I've also learned, though, as a mentor, to set some guidelines Mm -hmm. of expectations. Don't just come in here and say, well, I just want to pick your brain. Or as one young woman said, I want to teach me how to do what you do. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) That's not mentoring, is it? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Actually, um, my most successful book, as you know, is a book called Monday Morning Leadership. Yes. And that book is about a mentor. And so what I took in, in creating that book, I tried to create an atmosphere to where people could take that book and say, okay, this could be how it could be done. You know, this is how the mentor works and this is how the mentee works. Mm-hmm. And so that book sort of does that all the way through uh, to provide, you know, a, a learning experience that's not threatening to anyone. It's, it's just right there, you know, read it out. You know, you put yourself in their position and see how it comes out for you. And and I have to add, that is still, after 16 years, Mm -hmm. on the bestseller list. It's pretty crazy, isn't it? It's well because it's it's conversational. You're it's talking between a mentor and a mentee. That's right. And what did you tell me when you said, "Well, Valerie, why don't you write a book called Monday Morning Leadership for Women?" Yeah. And wasn't it? I'll just speak for myself on this and ask you the question, did you feel this way too? As I was writing a conversation between two people, uh-huh. it was almost crazy. It was like, well, I'm I'm this person, that I'm the mentor, I'm the mentee, I'm the mentor, I'm the mentee. Yeah. <laughs> it was really the most fun book I've ever written. Yeah. So when you wrote Monday Morning Leadership, yeah. uh, what, what was going through your mind being yeah. those two people? Yeah, pretty interesting on Monday Morning where it came from is I uh, had read a book called Tuesdays with Maury, okay, which yes. was a popular book at the time uh, and a good book, not a, great, not a great book in my opinion, but a good book. Mm-hmm. And I'd read that on a plane trip between Dallas and I was living here at the time in Dallas and between Dallas and Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And I thought, 
you know, we need something similar to that in the business arena. So the next weekend, and back in those days, as you might recall, if you spent Friday night or Saturday night away, your airfare was like 50%. And that was a deal that I made with the company I was consulting with. So I was in Toronto by myself on a weekend, and I started coming out with what I wanted to do with this Tuesdays with Maury concept, but in business. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, Valerie, um, my hands were on the keyboard, but I did not write that book. Hmm. I literally, I mean, it was a divine gift to me, literally. And uh, I wrote the book in that weekend. Uh, The characters that I had in the book, uh, if you look through all the character names, they're people in my family. They're people that I was mentoring at the time. Uh, Like the boss in the book was my wife, you know, and her (laughs) name. That's good. You know, so er everything just came together like it's never come before or since. Um, A lot of people think I'm sort of crazy when I say that I didn't write the book. But if I had, I would have replicated it 30 times. Sure. Uh, Instead of replicating it 30 times, you know, I've had moderate success and everything else, but nothing like the huge success of Monday Morning Leadership. And so... It was the gift to me, mm-hmm. and uh, it's been the gift that's been giving for 17 years now. It's incredible. When you say you didn't write the book and uh, it was a gift to you, I know from Grace Upon Grace, right. the story a little bit behind that being yeah. that it was a very down time. You were almost broke. That's right. That's right. It's... um. You know, people look at me today and they think everything's been easy, Mm-mm. you know, because that's where we sort of are today. Mm-hmm. But it it hasn't been easy. You know, um, I was in a situation to where, um, let me back up before Monday morning came along. Uh, I was a consultant and trying to make it. And a person told me, he says, if you're going to make it, you've got to write a book, just like you started this <laughs> off. Mm-hmm. And, and I said... What book did you write? And he says, well, I wrote this book called uh, The Safari Adventure. And it's about these people on a safari adventure. It's a problem-solving book. And I thought, man, you know, that's that's cool for you because you're in the problem-solving business, but I don't have a safari adventure. And so I was was, uh, mowing my yard that night. It was in April of whatever year it was, 98, I think it was, something like that. And I was mowing the yard, and I thought, I don't have a safari adventure, but what do I have? And I did a little inventory of myself, and I said, I know a lot about golf because that was my passion, still is. And I said, I know a lot about leadership. Mm -hmm. So what if I put those two things together? And so I put those two together and came up with a book called Birdies, Pars, and Bogeys, Leadership Lessons from the Lynx. And so that was my first book. Monday Morning was the third book. Uh, but it was the one that exploded and is, is the one that took off so well. But um, it was at a time when I needed something to direct me one way or the other in my career, either go back to corporate America mm-hmm. or um, do what I wound up doing, which I'm so grateful for that happening. Absolutely. Yeah. You're early on, <clears throat> you said that you've had your ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And in the book, you also said life is more like a railroad track Mm -hmm. explain that yeah i got that from uh rick warren actually okay in that uh, his wife was going through cancer my wife was going through cancer at the same time 
Um, and he said that he used to think that life was like a roller coaster. You would go up and have your peaks, and then you would go down and have your valleys. He said that his new philosophy, after going through this with his spouse, and I could relate to it, was that life is more like a railroad track. You got good things going on with you at one time, and at the same time, you have challenges going on. It's not just peaks and valleys. It's it's all the time. You've got both of them going. And a lot of your happiness and a lot of your success comes from which one of those sides that you focus on. And so I had to learn that the hard way, and it wasn't easy. Uh, but that's where, you know, Rick Warren is the one that originally said that, and it connected with me. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, it just gave me a different perspective of what was really going on in my life. It wasn't all roses and it wasn't all terrible. It was the railroad track was going on all the time. That is a great visual for yet another teachable point of view Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that, and it's so true, it's what you focus on Mm -hmm. versus, I just had a conversation last week and we were talking about, or the other person was saying, well, you know, it's been good for a while and now something bad's going to happen now. Or, gosh, I can't get out of the bad. When will the good ever happen? And so they, they we all, me too, mm-hmm. tend to clump the goods here, the bads here. And But I like that. The mm-hmm. railroad track, it's all, you're, you're having both all the time. Yeah, and while Recognize you're on the bad, bad side, yep. you, you need to be looking for whatever good is happening mm-hmm. so that you can sort of balance yourself out. You can drive yourself crazy only thinking about, you know, the difficult times and the the challenges that you're going through at that particular time, if you don't think through, well, good grief, you know, i got a lot to be thankful for here. Uh, you know, everything's not bad. You know, everything's not great, but everything's not bad. And things are going to get better. But right now, I've got some great things, whether it's your family or whether it's whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. But there are some good things going on at the same time that all those challenges are happening too. And we can habitually, when we focus on the bad things, just keep having bad things. It happens all the time, and, you know, eventually, you know, you got to get out of that rut. you get, right. you got to pull rut. yourself out, and uh, it's difficult for a lot of people to do that. Um, you know, but that's, that's one of the challenges that you have and one of the things that you have to do. If you're going to ever reach any level of success long term, you got to get out of the ruts. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's a good leadership point. David... <laughs> How has change changed you? Well, you know, I've been through a lot of change, uh, personally as well as professionally. Um, On the personal side, you know, I lost my wife, as you know. You knew her. Uh, I lost her about six years ago. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was a devastating moment in my life. Um, And one of the things that I've learned from that is even after your most devastating moments, there's other, there is hope, you know, ahead. Uh, And I wound up marrying a gal that I had worked with over 25 years ago and she had lost her husband and, and we connected up and it's been a wonderful marriage since then. It will never replace what I lost, but it is the new you know, the new hope that I have and the new uh, love that I have in my life. It's called um, the grace of loving again in the chapter, and that's what it's been. You know, I had the grace of love at the beginning, and then I had the grace of loving again after uh, we went through that that challenging time uh, and losing her to cancer. Mm -hmm. Uh, In business, I've had the same thing. You know, as you said, I was almost broke at one time, 
a person came out of the blue, literally out of the blue. His name is Mark Layton, and this gentleman uh, saw some potential in what I was trying to do. He allowed me the opportunity to do it for his company. In fact, when I was in Toronto for the Monday Morning Leadership episode, uh, it was on his. It was for his company. I was up there doing business for him, and what it did, it allowed me more time uh, with that contract that I had with him. It allowed me more time to figure out, you know, what is the right thing for me to do? Do I need to go back? Do I need to go forward or whatever? And I wound up going forward with Cornerstone and, you know, the rest, as they say, is sort of history. Uh, But it took being on the bottom there Uh before you really start analyzing all the options that are available to you to get to the next level that you're trying to go. And that's what, you know, that's what happened to me you know, on both sides of my personal and professional life. It's been incredible. David, how do you make those decisions? I spoke with a young man one time. I asked him, when, when things get really tough, what do you do? <laughs> he yeah. said, I just start talking to myself and telling myself how stupid I am. And, and I just talk myself into the mirror and tell myself what I'm going to do. And then I just go out and do it. I thought, well, I don't <laughs> think that'll work very well. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, when when you really are trying to make those important decisions, yeah, I think that I think that um, any decision that you make has to be based on uh, some substance of faith and another substance of reason. You know, you you might have faith that what you want to do is is right and it's the correct thing to do, but if you don't have the the reasoning behind it, which is the common sense piece of it, that it's doable then you might not be able to get it done as well. So you have to have somebody that's going to help you balance those two things out. I want to do this, and I can do this, you know, the faith and the reason piece of it. Um, but, it, you know, it's challenging because uh, the story that I tell, it's like hanging on to a rope. Uh, well, if you're rappelling down a mountain, you've got to hang on to the rope with all you got. Are you going to fall and you're going to uh, have a catastrophe there? But if you're behind a ski boat and you fall, you lose your balance, and all of a sudden, you know, you're being thrown all over the place. If you hang on the rope too long there, you're going to get killed too. So how do you know to hang on or to let it go? And that's where that faith and reason comes in. You have to have a a good dose of both of them and have someone, uh, a mentor or someone, you know, that you can trust that can help you. Uh, decipher uh, between you know what you're trying to do and the reality of where it is you know one thing I think that we all have we all struggle with Valerie is reality is understand what the real truth is because we want so bad for it to be the direction that we might be headed Mm -hmm. uh, that the only thing that we look at is that you know we want it to, to happen so bad when reality might be telling us really something different and that's where change comes in that's where making adjustments comes in uh, that's where getting better input comes in so that you can make better decisions i think that's terrific advice there's a, a young man and <clears throat> that i've been mentoring who just has more ideas than carter's got pills mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all great yeah, <laughs> and it's like bouncing. Like I'm going to do this, and that didn't work, so I'm going to do this and do this and do this and do this. And so I like very much what you said. It's a combination of reality mm-hmm. and faith. Yep, faith so and reason. There you go. So, um, 
What's something fun about you that no one knows? <laughs> I don't know, Valerie. <laughs> uh, one thing that might be fun about me that few people know, most people know that I, or most of people that are familiar with me know that I'm an avid golfer. But something fun that's just happened in the past few years is I'm an avid pickleball player. Oh. Have you ever heard of that? I have, and I don't know what it is. What is it? Okay, pickleball is a game. It's similar to tennis. Uh, It's on a smaller scale with a different type of ball um, and a lot smaller court. But it's very similar to table tennis and tennis. And it's a game that most people my age can play and enjoy and uh, get plenty of exercise with. And it's it's the fastest-growing sport in America. It's called well, pickleball. Yeah. I hate that I didn't know that. It's not too late. Well, good. Yeah. I might look at that. <laughs> Is it you have to go to a court somewhere that's just for that yeah. sport? Well, a lot of the clubs these days will convert a tennis court into a pickleball court. Uh, really? Actually, you okay. can get three uh, pickleball courts on a tennis court. So they will convert okay. it, you know, for um, pickleball. And, it, it, you know, the thing about um, – tennis is that if you're a really good player it's no fun to play someone that's not really good true you know and it's no fun for the person who's not really good to play somebody that's really good so you have this gap there and nobody's having any any fun unless you're you're the same level in pickleball it's not like that they've they've closed the gap quite a bit by the rules that they have which are a little bit different we don't have time for that today but um, by the rules that they have, so everybody can play. Everybody, and it's a, it, it's a, you know, just an enjoyable game that you can uh, enjoy with your wife or enjoy with your your friends that you have in the neighborhood. Well, how about <laughs> that? Something I'm going to look at. There you go. Write that one down. <laughs> so I've already pulled out a few uh, wonderful leadership lessons that you've shared, and so many more in the book. So let me just ask you: of all the chapters that you wrote in grace upon grace Mm -hmm. is there one or two more lessons learned that you'd like to bring up well uh you know all all of those chapters are important to me because they were my journey that that is my journey up to the first 65 um but i think that the chapters that really appeal to a broad audience uh, one of them is the grace of suffering Mm-hmm. And that's the chapter that talks about my, my spouse and, you know, the suffering that she went through with her cancer and how we made our way through it. Each chapter, uh, you know, is built on grace. So how do you, how do you see grace in suffering? And that's a, that's a question that I had to reconcile um, myself. and I had to get some help uh, in doing that. Uh, a couple of my pastor friends helped me you know, to understand that my definition of suffering and grace might be different than, than God's definition of suffering and grace. So, you know, just roll it out mm-hmm. and leave some of it to him. And that's sort of what I had to do there. But everybody can um, relate to that to a certain degree. Um, another chapter that I think is really important for me um, and is the is the um, – the grace of my heritage. And so I had to go back and I had to sort of figure out some of the things long before I came along to know what my heritage really was. 
I, I didn't have the resources for that. I, I didn't have the memory or anything to remember some of that. My sister had a lot of it, so I had to do a lot of research to figure that out. But I think it's, it's important for everyone to know where they came from and know what the, the, um, you know, the basis for them as they became kids and then adults, uh, some of their behaviors, where that might have even come from, you know. Right. Uh, and so I think that the grace of, of my heritage and the grace of suffering are probably two of the most significant chapters, at least for me. Uh, I'm hoping that all 16 of those chapters. The, the book really came from um, John 1, 16. And it, it talks about God's abundant grace. And so that's where I came up with 16 different graces oh, okay. um, right out of that chapter, John uh, 1, 16. And all those graces are important. And the last one is the grace of today. And before that was the grace of loving again, which I, I mentioned earlier. And then before that was the, the picking up the pieces, you know, chapter. Mm. So all, all of those, at some point in time, most people will go through uh, many of those graces that I talk about. Well, I will say that I'm honestly not prejudiced when I say I read this book um, and it does resonate with anyone because of exactly what you said, David. Everyone has suffering. Mm -hmm. Everyone has ups and downs. Now we're going to say tracks. Uh, everyone has those moments where they doubt. I've never met anyone that didn't admit to me, even at the top of their career, oh, gosh, I hope they don't know that I really know about this one. Mm -hmm. Got to find out about that. I hope that, you know, those doubts. We mm -hmm. all have those. One time someone said to me, I'll never forget, oh, Valerie, you don't need anything. You just act like you have it all together. And I thought, well, who are you watching? It's sure not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so the book really does address about any aspect of anyone's life. And so I'm going to hold it up one more time and say you can get this book on Amazon, of course. Sure. Right? Along with all your other 30 books. Is that That's right? That's right. That's right. You're very intimidating. Can I just say that? <laughs> oh, goodness. I mean, eight, and I, I, I guess I better write another one. <laughs> there you go. You can do that. <laughs> There's plenty in. David, thank you for flying in and, and joining me to be here today. It means a great deal, and I feel like the listeners will learn a lot from, uh, from all of the things that you've talked about and when they get the book as well. Thank you, Valerie. Thanks so much. My I appreciate pleasure. it. Thank you. And I just want to leave you by saying that as my loyal listeners, I'd like to offer you something I think is very valuable. If you will subscribe to the podcast and just send me an email to Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com, and in the subject line, say subscribed. I'm going to send you an article that just came out in uh, the Global Magazine for the International Coach Federation. And it's an article, David, about living in a VUCA world. Do you know what that is? You better tell me that one. <laughs> okay, living in a VUCA world. That stands for volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambigu ambiguous. That's where we are. That's where we are. So I'd love to send this to you again. Just uh, subscribe to the podcast and uh, send me an email, Valerie at ValerieAndCompany.com. In the subject line, say subscribe, and I would love to send you that article. Until next time, you just keep living your brand authentically. See you then. Thank you, Valerie. <laughs>
Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.